May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I hadn't given it a second thought. You said that or something like that a time or two, haven't you? Maybe someone came to you and they said, I have to apologize to you. The last time we were together, I was unkind or something like that. And, and I just wanted to tell you that I apologize. And, and you thought through the last conversation and you don't remember them being unkind or anything like that. And you're like, no, I hadn't given it a second thought that last conversation. And you were just telling me what you thought. And I didn't take it unkindly at all. And, and they said, no, I was, I, was, I was unkind. I was harsh. I was brash. I was something like that. And you reiterated, really? I haven't given it a second thought. It hasn't crossed my mind ever again. It's funny, isn't it, that one person can be troubled by something and someone else not have thought about it at all. It's, a, it's totally absent of their mind. I thought about how funny it is, these, these brains of ours, how they work. Just the, the, the ways that we kind of go through the, the different um, contemplations that we do. And I thought about how beginning in infancy, you know, our brains are already beginning to try to make sense out of our environment. We're trying to pick up on nomenclature, although it'll be a long time before we ever have the word nomenclature in our vocabulary. We, we pick up on body language and tone. Um, we pick up on, uh, on various kind of facial uh, structures and, and the way that people make different expressions. We, we understand signs of danger. And our brains file all these experiences that we have. You know, uh, this, is, this is safe and fun. This is risky and, and stay away from that. Um, this is delightful and this is disastrous. And, and our brains are just putting all that in these, all these different files that we have very, very early in life. And even when we go to sleep, even when we go to sleep, our brains are still in high gear. They're still functioning at a high level of efficiency. Um, they're just amazing the way um, psychologists will talk about dream interpretations. And, and there are various, this is sort of one of the things I am not an expert in, but I love to dabble in, is, is sort of dream interpretation. Most, sci most psychologists think that what happens in in our dreams is that in some way our subconscious is trying to tell our conscious self something that we refuse to think about. And so if you've ever had really weird dreams and you tried to work through those, if you've ever had that terrible, you know, naked in the middle of the mall dream, which is a, which is a horrid dream to have, um, you know that this is, this is in some way your brain trying to tell you something about, about feeling embarrassed or exposed or, misunderstood or something like that. You know, this is the way our brains work. They're, they're constantly trying to tell us something. And even when we're in the middle of a sleep, our brain concocts a story with characters and objects and a plot, and we're thrust into it. Sometimes, you know, an otter shows up in the middle of it, and that's really weird. But by and large, we have this whole thing going on in our heads as our minds are working through the events of our lives. Now, deciphering dreams is very difficult to do. And interpretation is only that, just interpretation. But it's not the literalness of it. Dreams really aren't very often literal. They require interpretation. 
they require us to have a second thought. There's a comedian, his name is Dimitri Martin, and I, I really like him. And he has this one special, he called The Overthinker. And he begins, sometimes I overthink things. But then I think, do I? <laughs> Which I think is really funny. And maybe in a minute you'll get it too, and you'll think, that was funny, pretty good. Um, and then he goes on, he says something like this, he said, maybe I do, maybe I do overthink. Um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say how much thinking constitutes overthinking. I mean, what's the threshold? We, you know, what's the average person think? You know, what's the level of, of thought in a normal person? And he says, I guess technically I'm overthinking, overthinking right now, but it's kind of the point since we're in the middle of this joke about overthinking. And the more I thought about it, the more it just kind of overwhelms me and kind of gets around my head kind of wrapped up. And, and I think it's funny, but I can relate. You know, sometimes... Sometimes we think too little. I hadn't given it a thought. I hadn't given it a second thought. Sometimes we overthink. We're thinking constantly about things that we should just let go and move on from. We just overthink it. Think and think and think and run it in circles and obsess about it. Here's a real irony. Sometimes we can think too little and overthink at the same time. We cannot be thinking about the things we should be thinking of and think about the things that we shouldn't be thinking of. It's like the absent-minded professor, right? You know, the the professor who's walking across campus thinking about the speed of light and, light and the arc of the universe or Semitic poetry and the use of uh, synonymous parallelisms. And, and he doesn't even see the massive mud puddle that's right in the middle of the sidewalk. And as he's working through all these things, or she's working through all these things, they walk right through the middle of the mud puddle and, and there's water all over their trousers. And they were thinking too little and too much at the same time. Um, sometimes I think there's another way that we should be thinking that was often overlooked or ignored. And this is what I would call theological contemplation. And that sounds really fancy, doesn't it? Theological contemplation. But it's just this. It's looking at the events around us and asking simple questions. What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about what God is doing in the world? How does it reveal in some way the plan of God? How do I make sense of these events? How do I make sense of an accident or a mistake? How do I make sense of what seems to be human evil, somebody doing something cruel or undeserved favor? Where do I file things like luck or bad chance? See, theological contemplation is simply an attempt to try to understand what God is doing and try in the best way that we can to be part of God's plan in the world. The author Luke in the Bible tells us in a very subtle, but I think very clear way that Mary was a theologian. She was a contemplative theologian. He tells us in the, in the second chapter two times that Mary contemplates. She does theological contemplation. She treasures things in her heart. He tells us the second time about a in, in chapter 2 about a story about when Jesus was 12 years old. Perhaps you remember this story. The family had gone to Jerusalem and for the Passover festival, as faithful Jews would have. 
And while they're there, they're, uh, Jesus is, is with them apparently, but they get ready to pack up and move in their caravan heading home. And somewhere along the way, they realize he's not there. And so they have to turn around and go back to Jerusalem. Where is this kid? He's 12 years old, right? And they, they kind of rummage through the city. They find him at the temple. And his mother, Mary, is like all other ma- uh, mothers. She's a nervous wreck. Luke says she interrogates her son. Why have you done this to us? Don't you know how upset we've been? Sort of a modern translation of what she says. Why have you done this? Don't you know how upset we've been? We looked everywhere for you. And Jesus is bewildered by his mother's um, questions. And he says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? So they find him there. He's discussing the scripture with, with scholars and with rabbis. Luke says he's not being unruly. He's going about doing the thing that he felt to do. And, and, and then he writes this. Um, they, Joseph and Mary did not understand what Jesus spoke to them. And he went down with them to Nazareth and was submissive to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. See, this is the contemplation work that Mary is doing. Her son was missing. She was panicked. She was frightened. She went back and looked for him and she gave him a what for? (laughs) Why did you do this to us? Like mothers do. Like fathers do too. And then she thought through these things. What things? The anxiety, the uncertainty, the missing child, the heartache, the fright, all these things. The first time, though, that Luke tells us that Mary had pondered some things in her heart was the night of Jesus' birth. And you know the story because I just read it to you, but even before I read it, you could hear Charlie Brown or Minus reading it from Charlie Brown, couldn't you? Some of you could. You you hear this story and you can know it. Maybe um, you you know it uh, that you told your children or, or children here who heard their parents read it to them year after year. The story of this couple, Joseph and Mary, who were required to travel by foot from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about 90 miles one way. Mary's pregnant. They arrive and there's no room for them. I don't want to really burst your bubble, but the word for inn is not a really good translation. There's no room for them in a family's guest room. You know, it's it's a room that was reserved for guests in the ancient world, and somebody had already taken it. So the only room that they have for them is... In the, st- in the cattle stall, you know, with the, with the animals. They're there with cattle and sheep and whatever else. And as the story goes, Mary goes into labor. She's pregnant while she's traveling. That had to be difficult. She delivers her baby, a boy. And then Luke says, she took the child and she wrapped him in bands of cloth and she laid him in a manger, in a feeding trough. And we hear that and we swoon, don't we? Oh, oh, how precious, how wonderful, how fantastic. But Luke wants us to hear, and there was no midwife there. So Mary had to do it herself. This young woman delivers a baby, her first baby, with no one else around. She herself had to take this child and wrap him in bands of cloth because no one else was there to do it for her, to help her. She's alone, save for her, her fiancé, Joseph. 
The tale is one of a young woman who survived a very terrible ordeal. And I'm sure a very frightening one at that. Um, this week I was out uh, shopping a little bit as, I, as we do this time of year. And I, I go into um, to Kohl's to buy socks for my sons. You're getting socks. And um, and so while I'm there, I, I, I get the socks and, and I'm, I'm heading to the line. And there's this enormous line. I mean, don't these people know there's a pandemic going on? What are they doing out, right? And so I see all these people and I think to myself, no, you know. I lay the socks down. I pull up my phone and open the Amazon app. And they say they can have them to me by Christmas Eve. Lovely. You know, I push the button and I'm gone. The socks are on their way <laughs> and happily delivered. Um, this is sort of what we do, isn't it? I, I mean, I can't wait. I can't be expected to stay there and wait. How long do we wait before we honk the horn? How long do we wait before we remind the server at the restaurant, I'm very thirsty. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, how long do we wait when the credit card company can't find our payment? Um, how long do we wait and when the mechanic can't seem to locate the part? Not very long, is it? I mean, if we were honest with ourselves as a society, as a culture, maybe not you, maybe you're a shining example of... Um, of an atypical person in the Western world. But we talked about it. We are the most entitled people who have probably ever lived on this planet. We want it and we want it now. And we will not take inconvenience, delay, frustration. We don't do that. We get what we want. And if we don't, we gripe and complain until we do. And Mary travels 90 miles by, by foot while she's pregnant. She suffers the indignity of a brutal government who will tell her that she has to leave her home and go register to be taxed. She gives birth to a baby in a barn without any medical help at all. She has little comfort in one friend. And after she gives birth, some shepherds show up. And again, we swoon. And Luke is like, no, the dirtiest, most disrespected people in the community. They're not even allowed to testify in court. And they show up and they tell her, you're not going to believe it, we saw an angel. One of my first jobs was to work as a cashier on the west side of Springfield. Sort of um, a rough and rugged place. I had a fellow who came in one day and told me he was Jesus Christ. And he believed it. And the next week he came in and told me he was Satan. And I believed it. And, um, and we had people like that all the time. And I wonder if Mary, you know, she sees these shepherds coming and just thinks it maybe is one more insult to her injury. And to top it all off, she's a virgin. This is not the way things are supposed to happen. This is not my plan for life, not at all. If anyone has a right to complain, it's this young woman right here that Luke tells us about. But here's what he writes. And the shepherds went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things. 
pondering them, contemplating them in her heart. Everyone's grappling, Joseph and the shepherds, but Mary's contemplating. She's thinking theologically. What is God doing? Why is it happening in this way? What's the meaning of all of this? How has your year been? <laughs> Done anything exciting? European vacation, maybe? Huh? No? Tell me, how was the family reunion this year? What was Thanksgiving like? Hmm. This isn't fair. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. This isn't the way we're supposed to live. Ever had a child in a barn? Maybe this Christmas, perhaps, just for a minute, maybe we would just stop. Not bemoan our difficulties. Not complain about our hardships. But maybe, just maybe, become contemplative contemplative theologians. What's the meaning of all this? Where's God in the midst of all this? What's God doing? What's his plan and how do we get a, become a part of it? Maybe we would dare, if we were really bold, looking at all the hardships, all the difficulties, all the frustrations, and treasure them in our hearts as we contemplate what it is God is doing in the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.